On the Empire Podcast this week, we feel fairly certain we won't get picked off by bad guys as Action Legends and Expendables 3 co-stars Terry Crews and Wesley Snipes drop by. We'll also discuss that film, and there's all the usual movie news and nonsense on the Only Movie Podcast that doesn't need help with its bags. We have a bloody manservant! I just made a Mordecai face. Yeah. Yeah. That joke will really play with like the three people who've watched that trailer so far. That's me. You. Us. Okay, it's basically okay, us. us. Four. The four people. Okay. Good. Anyway, hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt. Welcome to the Empire Podcast. As ever, I'm joined by several of my illustrious and trusted colleagues for an hour or so of terrific movie chat. This week, I'm going to depart from the norm and let them introduce themselves because, frankly, I've got writer's block. I've done 110 of these things, and now it's up to you. Go, lady to my right. Hello, my name is Helen. I believe I'm contractually obliged to call myself a geek queen. It's not, no, not contractually obliged. No, no, no. Okay, fine. But still, I would like a toothless and a Groot in a million dollars, thanks. We can work on two of those. Uh, Next, gentlemen, I'm staring at right now with a pen in his mouth. Please introduce yourself to the uh, the, the, the three people listening. Hello, I'm Ari Plum. Take the pen out of your mouth. Right. I'm Ali Plum. Uh, I am the co-host of 1990s Problems, a rival podcast to this podcast. (gasps) which uh, watches old 1990s TV shows and works out whether they're really that shit or not. Coming up in your iTunes folder, never. Also, I am the co-host and co-star of Ali and Chris. What a fucking idiots. <laughs> We've decided that it could be this, uh, this Edinburgh show. Yeah. Either what a fucking idiots or whistling shit eaters off yeah. the back of Robert Pattinson's interview last mm. week, where he did indeed refer to the phrase whistling shit eaters we've also decided maybe the tagline for the poster for our fringe show should be where comedy goes to comedy it absolutely will but i'm excited about it uh, next year at the edinburgh fringe uh come and come and, pay t- come and buy tickets to see ali and chris what a fucking idiots uh at the edinburgh fringe we don't have a room we're just going to turn up and see what happens i'd also like to take the opportunity to say that i meant to say tony jar Yes, I was going to correct you that last week, then I didn't, and I don't know why I didn't. And I kind of double back to myself because yeah. I knew it was jar, but then I remembered that some people said yar, but then my brain said I should say jar, and well, then Germans I said yar. Mm. Tony yar, that's a jarring error. That is, is good. You called him Tony yar. That was a that was not so much an intro. As I'd buy that intro in hardback. It was astonishing, astonishing detail. Should we go have have a kiss? I enjoyed it. Let's not have a kiss. I just think that yet. intro too early. That intro is his own podcast in itself, and you've just heard him. He's trampled all over his own introduction. Phil, oh yeah, take, take I trampled away. on my own introduction. As he, I, I, my name is Philip Edward Dissemlian, uh-huh. and I'm the listener of '90s Problems. So we're both here. Next is the outstandingly well brought up and handsome Phil Dissemlian, a man who spent the week enjoying the pilot episode of Bellatars. Great Hungarian Bake Off. Good, good, good and riff. We'll I should be, have gone yes, for that. That's yes. a good riff. And we'll be ca- yeah, it's topical. That is topical. Yeah, so you oh, could learn from me. And we'll that. be coming in next week with a delicious Satan mango. Alright, forget you heard that, listeners, because that is my riff for next week. Great Hungarian bake off, great Winchester bake off, great Nineties bake off. You're hard to pin down. Comedy bake off. Great comedy bake off. All right, because we bring the comedy every week here on the Empire Podcast. Well, there you go. Now that that frankly shambolic introduction has happened, it's time to take your questions. Hello, all. I hope you're. I hope you're well. I hope you're well at home. In fact, as well. Also, here are your questions. You've been sent them in via Twitter, Facebook, and email all week. First one is uh, from at Mark Frostick, who says, "Given I'm filling up my car at the cheapest price in ages." What is your favourite petrol station scene? That's what we like. We like off the beaten path Specific questions. questions. Very specific. I hope you got a good price, Mark. There is a correct answer to this, which I think Phil has already bagsied. Mm-hmm. So I should probably let you talk about Orange that. Orange Marker Frappuccino. Zoolander. Oh, is that it? Yes. I was going to say 28 Days Later. 
I thought you were going to say Zoolander. Yeah, no, you can have, you can go for it, Helen. Oh, okay. Say Zoolander. Zoolander. The element of surprise has been leached from this somewhat, but there you go. Yeah, that is the that is the greatest um, gas station scene because, of course, what could be more natural than having an innocent gasoline fight? Um, at a gas station when you're in a good mood you know, mm. you're with your friends you're drinking orange mocha frappuccino Wham is playing Wham is playing I mean it's Everyone's just it's idyllic isn't it it, it really is and just ca- to cap it all you can have a nice cigarette it's how I want to go frankly except for the cigarette part smoking I don't condone smoking no don't no bad um, smoking is there a petrol station scene in the jerk yes there is yes a lot he with works the glasses one, and yes. yes it's where uh, M. Emmett Walsh first takes a Pod shot, just mm. Steve Martin. Uh, I'm I'm going to say Robocop. I love Robocop. Robocop's in fact, point. I think Mark Frostick also mentioned Robocop in a subsequent tweet. Uh, what happened so, to the poor guy in the thing he was doing? Is I do wonder research. about him. I do wonder about him. I wonder if he. he I think he got away. I but, think he was you know, vaporized. But he could have been vaporized. This is the scene of Robocop where uh, Emil, uh, who later gets uh, cut in half uh, and melted by toxic waste, uh, just shows up at a, a petrol station and is a raging dick. Because he is, and he tries to rob a petrol station, and, and then Robocop comes along and recognises him, and it kicks Murphy off in his quest for uh, vengeance. Great scene, love that scene. Mm. And the petrol station goes boom, big boom. Also, the very end of Terminator, she stops at a petrol station on her way to the border or wherever, and gets picture taken, and that's when you see the, the emergence of the you know really kick-ass Sarah Cron- Connor, which is pretty cool. Very, mm. very quick scene, but I like it. That reminded me of No Country for Old Men, of course. Yes. And Do you um, feel like yes. uh, Frendo, isn't Frendo. it? Frendo. Yeah. The Frendo sequence in that is astonishing. The end of Monsters, I suppose. It's a sexy petrol station scene. Sexy petrol station. There's a phrase you don't all, hear every day. Well, of course, in, in a lot of horror films, you get uh, people pulling up at petrol stations and asking for directions, and it's uh, the last person. They say, oh, don't go up that road, or do go up that road, because I'm evil. Like Cabin in the Woods, the uh, Harbinger. The is Harbinger. That the, uh, is that the petrol station? And also, Tucker and Dale versus Evil. There's a lovely petrol station scene there played from two angles. There's the sort of horror angle and then the cutesy rom-com angle and mm. it's really nicely done. Oh, and speaking of uh, petrol stations blowing up, who can forget Hitchcock's The Birds? I almost said The Burbs. There's a different film. Who could forget? Who could who could forget the film I just forgot? We've forgotten it. That's, <laughs> that's, that's pretty awesome. Pretty awesome when the man dies because he blows himself up. Uh, and there's also something very similar in Dumb and Dumber, which is really Wayne's fun. Wayne's World 2. I was going to say Wayne's World 2 is the, is the funniest one I can think of. What happens in that? They want directions to Gordon Street. And the actor, the guy that's the first guy's act, he's like, oh, yeah. Gordon Street. I remember Gordon Street. I met a girl. And and, um, <laughs> and Wayne's like, can we not get a better actor than this? He's terrible. And they, they wheel him away and they bring out Charlton Heston. Charlton Heston. That was <laughs> and then reduces him to tears in like four lines of dialogue. <laughs> <laughs> I also would like to mention, and this is this is another one which I love to butcher name-wise, is John Leguizamo wearing the most amazing little soul patch and the carved blade sideburns and this gorgeous kind of uh, Russian holy waistcoat uh, for Romeo and Juliet where he whips out his pistols and starts um, having out them and everything blows up by the end and then he uses the little sniper scope on the top of his pistol and he just pops the guy as he drives away in the yellow car. Uh, I just rewatched it. It was still just as enjoyable. You can't see it, but right now I'm biting my thumb at you. Great. <laughs> Cheers. Uh, here's, here's That's as good one. as the Mordecai there's a, wait, face. There's a, um, there's a glaring continuity error in that sequence. It's not, not set in yeah, Verona. Yeah, that's the biggest problem. Oh, yeah. No, there is actually, you can see the boom mic in, uh, in the rear view mirror of one of the cars. Oh, God, really? it sounds like I've just killed really? Christmas. Well, to be fair. What a bastard. It's because it's about to go boom. Ooh, ooh, two more. Two more. Uh, Deliverance. The, the banjo scene actually takes place outside a gas station. Toy Story. 
Doesn't the uh, you're a sad, strange little man, and you have my my sympathy? This isn't a movie, but it's connected with movies. To see Agent Coulson kick people uh, in the posterior in slow motion, he does so in a short to one shot. Something funny happened on the way to Thor's hammer. He is trying to pick between dusted mini donuts and frosted mini donuts when suddenly he realizes this gas station's being held up, and then he goes kicks kicks and bottom and then leaves. And it's just it's a really nice two minutes of fun. Great to see mm. Coulson actually be physically violent but in a really measured way. All right, I think that was answered fairly definitively. Of course, if you have any uh, favourite gas station or petrol station over here, then do send them in. Uh, Twitter, uh, Facebook and email. Uh, We'll maybe read them out next week. Here's a good question from at charade underscore UK. This is a cracking question. What is your favourite film not to involve a weapon of any kind in it anywhere? Psycho. Oh shit! <laughs> Texas Chainsaw. Oh no! Oh, come on, Jack. Okay. War Dogs. Oh no! That's the a... Duelist. Oh no! Wait, there are some. Stop on my mom with sh- Top Gun. Um. <laughs> does she does... fire? Death Wish for. Oh. Does Sweet Smell of Success have any weapons in it? I don't think so. Does the apartment have any weapons in it? Apart from Jack Lemmon's voice when he's singing as he cooks the pasta? No, I don't think so. So I would say those two. It's, it's interesting. We were talking, but we mentioned Billy Wilder earlier. Mm. And his films don't usually need that, have that, apart from some, some of like them. Some like it hot does. Some of them. Starlag. Mm. Yeah. Starlag. Sherlock Holmes. Yeah, so a lot of his movies have weapons, but yeah. also a lot of his movies do not have weapons. Here we, there <laughs> you go, that's, that's cinema. It's tricky, um, because I'm, I'm actually looking at the IMDb's uh, top 250 movies of all time. And you, you, you think, oh, okay, 12 Angry Men, that won't have any... Oh, no, it revolves around a murder, and there's a big scene about a knife. Okay, so that's that's number that's number eight in the list. And Shawshank Redemption has weapons in The Godfather, Godfather 2, Dark Knight, Pulp Fiction, Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, Schindler's List, Lord of the Rings, uh, Fight Club, uh, Forrest Gump. Uh, ooh, Forrest Gump? Vietnam War. Damn it. One flew, yeah, Mangus, just, a man gets his legs blown off. Of course, of course it's a weapon. <laughs> Goodfellas, The Matrix, Seven Samurai, <laughs> City of God, Seven Usual Suspects. Uh, interesting. Yeah. Ooh. Wonderful Ooh. Life? It's a Wonderful Life? No weapons. Uh, no, I'm pretty sure at least one of the policemen uh, brandishes a gun at one point. <sighs> really? Also, he gets punched in the bar, so there's still violence there. What yeah. about musicals? <clears throat> well, I was thinking that Singing in the Rain, there's definitely a policeman. I think he carries a truncheon. That's a weapon. West Side um, Story has violent stabbings. In E.T., does Elliot not have a Greedo a Star Wars action figure with a tiny gun? But it, it's not like a... Would you call a that blaster. a weapon or a toy? It's a blaster. Yeah, but it's a toy blaster. Will you try telling that's a toy Greedo? <laughs> <laughs> I, but it's a good point. I mean, I think it is an interesting question because it does show you that, that even films you don't think of as having as being about violence or having weapons have them. Yeah. Have violence weapons. Don't yeah. tell us at home. It's challenged by preconceptions. It really has. I mean, Back to the Future, for goodness sake, has shootings and death and yeah, shotguns and machine and guns and rocket launchers uh, and all sorts of stuff. It's easy it? if you look at it by filmmakers. Cinema Paradiso. There aren't many Bergman films with weapons and there aren't many Ozu films with weapons or Bresson or... Clutch Were there any weapons or, on the Great Hungarian Bake Off this week? Um, was Bellatar rocking a Gatling gun? At, he sharpened Colander at one point. <laughs> sharpened Colander. Yeah. What you just pushes onto someone's head and it just kills them. Do you know the uh, the greatest weapon of all in Bake Off? Poor Hollywood's eyes. You look on your face. You're doing a Mordecai face. <laughs> <laughs> I am. Can everybody face. please go away and watch the Mordecai trailer and report back? So some of this makes sense. Yes, uh, I, I thought it was was great fun. Uh, and I'm going to the biggest films of all time. Not the IMDb. All right, so Avatar, Titanic, Marvel's The Avengers, Harry Potter, Frozen. Does Frozen have any weapons in it? I haven't seen it. Uh, there are guards who want brandish like pikes, I think. 
a fish? That's not going to like, hurt oh, anyone. Also, they fight the wolves off with like a cudgel. Jurassic Park has weapons in it. Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Hollywood. Stop putting weapons in your movies. Finding Nemo start, doesn't. Let's move on. Start with Star Wars Episode Seven. <laughs> move on from there. And we'll see. Yeah, it's really tricky. I mean, you know, as a... Uh, God, big horror fan, weapons, comedy, even... Anchorman has weapons in it. Yeah, this is tricky. This is very tricky. Good question, I think. Good question. It has challenged me. I'm going to try and find a movie this weekend that I love that doesn't have any weapons in it. All right, we have one more question here. I'll read this out. Cheers for the mention, Ali Plum, on Empire Podcast. Listen every week. Tell Chris Hewitt I owe him a beating for slating me on it previously. And that's from at the Scott Atkins. Uh, Scott Atkins. That's from Scott Atkins. He's, he's actually... Yeah, he's a professional martial artist. Yeah. yeah he's really he tough, is. Chris. Um, he appears in films. He was in Expendables um, too. Yes, he was. Yes. Now, here's the thing. I've already made a piece with Mr. Atkins on Twitter. However, this kept me awake at night, as you might imagine. It's not every day a cast member from the Expendables threatens to beat you up. I don't remember slating Scott Atkins on the podcast. This is 124th podcast. I've slated so many people on it on previous episodes. I, I, I honestly forgot. I don't... And I looked back at every episode we've, we've released... And I listened to it just to see if I did actually slag off Scott Atkins. And I found I found the resulting bit of tape. And I think, Scott Atkins, you'll be pleasantly surprised by this. Play the tape. Expendables 2, right? Who's your least favourite person in it? Well, my least favourite person in Expendables 2, by a country mile, is this guy called Scott Atkins. He's this British guy, right? He's this British actor. And uh, there's just something about him. If you ask me, Scott Atkins is an absolute... Delight, a charming man and a wonderful actor. I can't wait to see him in more motion picture films. So there you go. Peace, mate, with Scott Adkins. I think that's absolutely fair enough. Uh, if you uh, are listening, Scott, I'm so sorry. Please send in your questions to the usual address. Uh, we're on Twitter at Empire Magazine. Use the hashtag Empire Podcast, otherwise we won't see it. We're on Facebook as Empire Magazine, and you can email us podcast at empireonline.com. Okay, speaking of Expendables, uh, our guests this week are both stars of The Expendables 3. They're also action heroes carved from rock and hewn from the living heart of an active volcano. That's that's true, I looked it up, it's on Wikipedia. First up is a man who's brought joy to untold millions with his schwa de fever, his sense of humour, and his amazing ability to pop his pecs, whether it's in movies or in TV shows like Brooklyn Nine-Nine or the old Spice ads. It is, of course, Terry Crews, and when he came to London a few months back, Ali and I leapt at the chance to chat to him. The results are literally... Explosive. Boom. I should point out this is quite a long interview because he is so amazing. It was about 35 minutes. I cut it down as much as I could. But yeah, it's reasonably long. Um, so enjoy. It is fun. Enjoy. Uh, we're delighted to be joined in the pop booth by Terry Cruz. Hey, hey. How, how you are doing? you, sir? I'm good, good. I like this. It's all intimate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's quite small. I mean, it's, it seems smaller now you're here. And it's just like, you know, if you, you're... you're, you're, you're Massive. Well, yeah, I make places intimate. That's what I, mean. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I do. Terry, the other day I hosted a couple of Q&As uh, with you ahead of uh, Expendables and Expendables 2. And we talked about this on stage at the time, but you were eating Nando's yes. during the break. Yes. I believe you love Nando's. I, lo- I spent time in South Africa doing a movie with uh, Adam Sandler, and uh, they had a Nando's right there near where we stayed. And I ate there every day. Every day, probably, you know, maybe sometimes twice a day. It's crazy. <laughs> a little known fact is that Nando's is a South African brand. 
even yes. though it's Portuguese food, but it's a South African wow. brand. Well, they, they put drugs in the chicken because I was hooked. <laughs> There's crack in Nando's. I'm not trying to tell you. It's, That's the uh, secret ingredient, is yeah, it? Listen, <laughs> let me tell you, I sold everything I had for a piece of chicken. <laughs> so, so what's the end uh, of Terry Crews uh, Nando of choice? What's what's your what's your poison when you go to a, a Oh, Nando's? I get the whole, I mean, I get a whole, a couple chickens. You know what I mean? <laughs> really. Um and, uh, you know, the sides are healthy. You get the little sweet potatoes, the whole thing. Sometimes if I'm feeling wild, I get fries. Oh, my God. But it's all about the chicken, bro. That's it. And it I'm, I'm good. And it's healthy. That's that's the thing. You, 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 you're you not fried and all things. So you feel like, okay, I can, I can do this. You know what I mean? But it's all good. Speaking of food, obviously, you were part of the Play With The Chance of Meatballs. Oh, I love that movie. Now, obviously, you replaced Mr. T there. Yes. Any beef with Mr. T? Have you seen him since? <laughs> no, actually, I got the green light you from Mr. T. Mr. T tweeted me, and he was like, dude, I'm so happy as you. Now, I, I think it's, I know Mr. T. Like, mm-hmm. I met him years ago, back when I was doing Battle Dome, and he was a big fan of the show. Because, you know, he got his start in, like, a game show type thing about being the best bodyguard in the world. You know, right. who's, you know, And that's how he got his start. And then Sly put him into, you know, the whole Rocky franchise, and the rest was history. But... Mr. T gave me the green light. He was like, man, I'm really happy it was you. And for some reason, he just didn't want to come back. I don't know what those reasons were, but he was fine with me doing it. And he was like, if it had to be anybody, that was a perfect choice. Wow. That was so good. That was good. I want to see you in a Snickers commercial where you drive into a football pitch on a tank. Because that's that's what Mr. T does. Oh, my God. Uh, yeah, honestly, you got to see it. Oh, I got to see that. I do. <laughs> and, and speaking of commercials, look at all these segues I'm doing. But um, <laughs> yes, I know I'm on like a pro, right? <laughs> How often a day in the street do you get Old Spice commercial fans shouting "pa pa 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 power"? Oh, probably uh, several, several. Especially when I'm with my grandbaby. It's always never. It never fails that I'm with my beautiful little grandbaby. She's four years old, and somebody runs up to me and goes, "Oh no!" and she cries and I'm holding her and I'm like baby it's gonna be okay and these grown men are like yelling at the top of their lungs and I'm like dude do you see I'm holding a child and they don't care they don't care it's it's really the cult of Old Spice and when you have that little body odor you will do that kind of stuff it just <laughs> it just gives you the power it does it's, let me tell you Greatest brand, greatest stuff. The best commercial campaign, I think, of all time. Was there anything that didn't make the cut? Like, was there any idea that someone said, no, that's too ludicrous? No, actually, (laughs) no. You know, the stuff that was actually calmer and cooler did not make the cut. That's the only criteria. It was one of those things where we just like, Old Spice is really great. And then they were like, God, that's good. It never made it. I was, the, the one nice spot I did for Old Spice didn't right. get on. It was all, when I went Mondo crazy, and I had to have at least three veins in my forehead popping out before it got the green light. <laughs> and you know, we made a lot of those things on the spot. There were a lot of things that happened that we we I remember doing the Old Spice spots and they came up to me and they were like let's let's try this let's try and then they didn't know my pecs could pop with the first time I did it <laughs> are you kidding no, they had no idea and I just did it like oh they were like don't do that again. wait wait that's a new commercial and this literally they faxed my agent and said we're gonna do three more spots today 
Yeah. And the one where I go block, 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 and I'm blocking all the odor and all this stuff. <laughs> we just did that. It was like an ad lib, so and it turned out to be a spot. Your or pecs, your pecs did improv. Yeah. They improved. It, it, it was wild. They had no idea. I, I'm guessing you, they didn't improv the one where you're playing a drum set with oh. different, where you're flexing different muscles and the plays. Muscle from music. The muscle music commercial was. It, it was a, a fight because we literally. I spent a whole day yelling, flexing with my arms up. And I mean, it was like 13 hours straight. <laughs> and it was hard, I'm telling you, but it was worth it. Mm. With, I mean, the ability to operate it on your internet, off your keyboard, which was like non... It was n- never been done before. Uh, and to this day, I, don't, I, I think it's one of the best things I've ever done. For people at home, Terry just pecked his... Uh, just popped his pecs yeah. through his shirt. Yeah. Now, how many suits do you go through? Because I'm surprised you don't just <laughs> rip through your clothes. I, I know I got those pec wear lines on all my all my clothing. It's one of those things. It's not that's the deal. But I, I love it, man. It's it's one of those things that you you learn how to do by having no dates, <laughs> and really, really wanting a woman to love you, yep. and there's yep. no one around. And uh, I was like. <sighs> it's Friday night and you just look in the mirror and all of a sudden a, a peck pops and you're like, oh, my pop, my peck popped. It's, oh my God. And you, and I learned a lot of things about myself being very lonely. <laughs> I, say, I learned how to do the robot because there were no dates. And it's like lonely nights make the best robot. It's just like, oh, what am I doing? That's, that sounds <laughs> like, like e, you know? that should be your autobiography title. Yeah. Lonely nights make the best robot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. It is so true. So I mean, true. That was the thing. That's why I met my wife. I've been married 25 years, and I, I found someone who loved me, and I said, stick with me, baby. I'm with you. Was that I'm a, with you. That was that robot dance convention, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, it's good. It's, it's the be- now, the robot is the best dance of all time. Mm. You do know that. that. That's true. There is no dance better than the robot. You can be in the, you know, the ballet, the royal ballet and whatever, and you bust out in a, you, they'll cheer. They will never boo the robot. The robot never gets booed. The bo- the robot will always be embraced. Whoever tries it, you will be the hit of the party. Now you can over robot. Yeah. When you when you're getting the cheers and then everybody's like, okay, I'm going to get a, a, a you know an appetizer, and you're still roboting. Stop. <laughs> because <laughs> you know then it's like, all right, man, you you suck all down, the guy. life. Right. It's power them down. You sucked all the life out of the. Just take the batteries out the back of him. <laughs> uh, I want to do a pop quiz. Very quick, one question. Can you tell me the name of your character in full from Idiocracy? Wow. President Elizondo. Oh, wait. Are you ready? You, you made a mistake. Oh, wait. wait. President... Oh, no. Sorry. Sorry. President Dwayne. Ma... Uh, now I messed up. Pre- Dwayne Elizondo Mountain Dew Herbert Camacho. Correct. Yes. <laughs> I'm so pleased you remember that. <laughs> If you guys, and there's a chance that people listening to this haven't seen Idiocracy, go and watch it. It is worth your time, if only to hear the reason behind that name. Oh, it's it's yeah. crazy. Uh, it, it, first of all, I was so nervous. You know, I remember auditioning for the, for the movie, and then uh, my agent called me and said, he said, listen, I'm not going to tell you who else is going in, because you're going to freak out, because they're like really big names. And you're going to really, it would blow your mind. But, you know, there are big names going off of this. I was like, well, look, you might as well. Now I'm nervous. I said, like, you already ruined it, okay? Because now that I know that there are much people much bigger than me going out for this, what am I going to do? And uh, But I remember 
every time I could just click in, you know, it was one of those things that it was a role that was made for me. Mm. You know what I'm saying? And uh, I loved it. I love Camacho because he is personality. And it kind of shows how all you really need now is a personality. Mm. And you could lie your ass off. (laughs) (laughs) And people will believe you because you're charismatic. Yeah. And it's kind of wrong. Have you been lying since you got into this book? Uh, well, yeah, I, a couple. A couple. Uh, no, a couple. <laughs> no, but it's the abuse is what it is. It's, it's like, man, just because you could... You see, and I've been... I grew up in church. And one of those things that there, there was a big thing where, you know, if you just want to get everybody riled up and not say you know not get anybody offended but you just hey let me tell you something <laughs> what you're gonna do <laughs> and when you see <laughs> the lord is looking at you <laughs> and, and but he didn't say anything you know i didn't say <laughs> one thing that meant anything but everybody but all, immediately you kind of perked up and went wow yeah. wow wow if you it's that charisma yeah. that sing-songy thing and you can fool a nation because mm-hmm. i mean obviously i don't want to reveal it now but you are actually the brother of Tom Cruise. <laughs> Is that? Uh, do, you well, want, do you want to uh, admit that here? Or? Uh, I, 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 I'm the no, I'm the adopted son ah. of Tom Cruise. Now Daddy. it makes sense. Yeah, now it, it works. Now it all comes together. I don't want to tell you what to do with your career in any way, shape, or form. But after your tweet recently, I think it was was it yesterday where you said, "Look, I'm dressed as a Bond baddie." Yeah. <laughs> yes, James Bond villain. I was like, "Make it happen." Doesn't that make sense? As mm. soon as you said it, I went such yeah. <laughs> why make it so I know, but... listen you have to understand for for one I'm the kind of guy if you didn't know I existed already you, I, you'd have to invent me you know, you know what I mean <laughs> it's kind of weird because I have to let people know it's possible yeah you know and that's why I throw things out there all the time like that because you didn't think about it until I'd said it. Because people don't, they'd say, this big guy, he maybe he, he can't do that. And then they find out I can. And then it's like, oh, we never knew. Well, I always, my job is to show you what's possible. Mm. My whole career, my whole life is to show you what is possible. That's it. You can do it. It's, it's, it's so weird. People see a guy with muscles and being funny and all that. But it's here. I'm here to show you that it can go down. Believe it. Believe it. A James Bond villain, I would love. Dude, I could do that. I, I would love that. Me versus battling with Daniel Craig, this whole thing. I Come bet on. he can't peck pop as well as you no. can. Oh, no. Well, I, first of all, I'm the one of the biggest, the latest Bond films, I think, are the best things of all time. The Daniel Craig Bond, it's just genius. And I think they're getting better and better and better. And I, I would do any, I would just love to be a part of something like that. Sure. I think we're going to give Bond a chance. I think putting you up against Bond, that's not fair. No, You'd no rip but, his arms off. No, but he, he would have some sort of weapon or some sort of <laughs> some sort of little thing that would equalize all of that. You know, I mean, listen, that's the whole story of Bond. He's in impossible situations. Yeah, yeah. That's the thing. I mean, even every opening of a Bond film, he's in an impossible situation. <laughs> he got shot in the chest. <laughs> And they started the movie. <laughs> I can be a Bond villain. Okay? I'm trying to say, Skyfall, he was shot in the chest. And he came back. Come on, man. Now anything's yep. possible. And then he fell off a bridge. And he fell off yep. a bridge. Wait, wait. Yep. If I got shot, fell off a bridge, <laughs> then 
sunk into water. Wait, wait. Yep. How did they even find him? He's down in the water. And you next see him and he's drinking a beer <laughs> yeah. on the beach. Yeah. I'm right. like, what is this? What gadget does this guy and, have? And, and then he went and worked out. He's like, oh, I'm going to go get on the treadmill a little bit. You're like, wait a minute. He got shot and drowned. And he's still here. I love this. Speaking of believing it. Yes. Hail Caesar. You have to be a very special human being to pull off a character name, Hail Caesar. Were you in any way involved with the naming of that? Because, quite frankly, in, in a film series full of incredible names, you probably have the best. Hail Caesar is the best movie name of all time. And this Because okay. I know Dolph Lundgren, I'm a big fan of these silly names. Mm -hmm. He was once in a film where he played a guy called Max Gatling. <laughs> That's good. But I still think Hail Caesar beats it. No, Hail Caesar does. But I have an interesting story about the whole Hail Caesar thing. It was originally in the script, and I said, Man, Hail Caesar is amazing. This is great. This is me. And then one day, we're on set in Brazil. It was the first Expendables. And I get a new redraft of the script. And it says, All of a sudden, Hail Caesar's nowhere in the script. And I'm like, What? Did they take the character out or whatever? And they go, oh, no, 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 you got to look. Uh, uh, Sly changed the name. And I looked, and he called me Jazz Gumbo. Jazz Gumbo was the name of Hail Caesar. And I went, so all my lines now had Gumbo on top of it. And I was going, wait, Gumbo? Are you serious? Like, really? And I thought it was a joke. Like, I thought so maybe I'm I. like an action movie rookie, and this is something <laughs> that they do to a lot of the action guys. Yeah, you're getting jazz. Yeah, I was like, okay. And I said, no, they said, no, really, uh, no, slide changed that this morning. So that's a, and no one was laughing, and I, I was like, "Oh no, no, this can't happen." So I went to Slide's trailer, and I was scared. Now this is the thing: here I am, brand new. Slide just put me in this huge franchise, and I'm like, "Oh my god!" I knock on the door. Now I'm thinking he's a writer. Now I got an issue because writers don't like their lines even mess with. If they change a name, they change a name. I know Aaron Sorkin, you have to say everything he said. <laughs> everything he writes, you have to say. So I'm going, oh man, uh, and, and Sly's bigger and badder than Aaron, okay? <laughs> so I'm like, man, this is like asking him to change the name of Adrian in Rocky. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, uh... Jazz Gumbo! <laughs> and I'm going, no. So I go, Sly, um... Uh, and I, he says, go, I said, Sly, can I talk to you for a second? He said, hey, come on in, come on, sit down, sit down. And I'm going home, and I'm nervous. I'm sweating everything. I said, man, first of all, Hail Caesar is the greatest movie name of all time, <laughs> bar none. Uh, now, I just want to understand why you wanted to change it to jazz. I, I, I get jazz gumbo is a good name. <laughs> and I'm just, oh, God, I'm being ner I'm nervous as hell. I said, but I really, really liked Hale. Is there any way possible we could go back to Hale? I mean, just, you go, okay. <laughs> and that was it. Okay, no problem. And I went, what? what? Now, I, I expected all this resistance, like the reason why he was jazzed. He said, man, okay, you like Hale? It's Hale. And I went, oh, God, thank you, God. And I, I ran out of there. And I, before he could say no or change his mind, he was back to Hail Caesar. Yes. And he is Amazing. alive. I think you should do a role in one movie where you act only with your pecs. <laughs> that could happen. Yeah, just, just, just like, you know, oh, he's angry. Well, it's most Old Spice commercials. <laughs> That's basically what I do. <laughs> but, but speaking of, like, uh, writer-directors who are in control of their scripts, working on Arrested Development, was, was there much room there? What was wild is that he was very amenable to us changing ah. stuff moving because 
this is the thing, but we didn't know the whole story. And here I am coming into Arrested Development, uh, the, the classic, classic, one of the best, most story sitcoms of mm. all time. And I'm like the new guy, you know? And I walk in and there's all, you know, all these stars there. And uh, everybody that I love, Tony Hale and you know Jason Bateman, everybody. And uh, no one knew the storyline. It was always, he would only give out pieces and we would get pages. And so there was a lot of improv happening. And and it was kind of like being in the moment. He was like, go with it. And I went with Herbert Love. You know, it was like, hey, something. I just kind of went right into it. Herbert Love is, is it's like a Camacho, but a different <laughs> way. You know what I mean? It's political, but it's another kind of smooth. And Mitch got it, man. And he let us roll. It was an amazing thing. Now, Aaron Sorkin, however, like when I did Newsroom, you're not allowed to roll yeah. at all. You must. He's a playwright. You say exactly what he wants, and that's his genius. And I was honored to be a part of Aaron Sorkin's Newsroom. I mean, one of the best shows on TV. But it, and it got me ready. Like it, it, All of this stuff is training. Expendables 2 was more, I guess, more ironic and more satirical in a way yeah. than the first Expendables was. What's that like for you in terms of hitting that tone? Where you're hitting that tone where you got to be the tough guy, but also kind of arch your eyebrow at it, you know, kind of... Yeah, yeah you, know well, I mean? you know, the first Expendables, Sly had a cut that was so dark that they didn't put it out. Mm. It was a dark, dark Expendables. And uh, I enjoyed it. <laughs> um, I mean, really, I, I, I thought... It, but that's what it needed. Like, the first one... The, the whole appeal was that it was, you know, guy's guy movie. Like, this is something you've never... Because remember, at the time, they were taking, plucking people off Disney Channel and making them action stars. <laughs> and it was unbelievable. Like, people were like, huh? Wait, you were in, you were on Raven last year. How did this... So, it, people hadn't seen, like, real men in a long time. Because yeah. there's a lot of ageism in Hollywood. Everybody feels like you have to be you know, 18 or no one's going to see you. And, you know, that's the thing with Sly. He was counted out. He was like, you're 60 years old. How are you going to be an action star? And then the world spoke and the world said, we want this. Now, the second one, however, could not be that dark because it was it has already gone mainstream. It's already pop. You know, it's kind of like the indie movement versus pop movement. So once you've gone pop, you're now mainstream. You're Maroon 5 now. You know what I mean? You're, you're, <laughs> you, you can't... you got to be a little analogy. more responsible. You know what I mean? And everybody knew the kids were going to want to go see this. Mm. And I think Sly and everybody knew there was a bit of a responsibility to make it a little less bloody, a little less, mm. a little more tongue-in-cheek, just because it's going to be... You know, you're going to have 13-year-olds yeah. sneaking in to see this. Yeah, absolutely. And then Expendables 3, it seems to me, having seen the trailer so far... It's almost going in, a, in almost like a fast and furious direction in terms of amping up the action and and going in that in that sort of that, that, that sort of area. Is that yeah, fair to say? I, I I look at I mean the thing is, Expendables could do anything now. You know, mm. we we can we'll be fighting aliens in the next one. I, <laughs> <laughs> and I think people will go, yeah, that makes total sense. <laughs> Dolph told me so. He's like in the first movie, he's like, dude, they killed me. I died and I came back. Yeah. Hey, we can do anything we want. <laughs> he's like, he did a whole Daniel Craig move. You know what I'm saying? Um, so it's it's kind of great. I think 
you know, with that tone that they're doing. I mean, I looked at even the, at the, the posters that they, mm. they kind of put out and oh, had so, all of us. Yeah, yeah it, it really just acknowledges the fact that this is a summer fun movie. Okay, You got, got Kesley Grammer. He looks like a fisherman. Yeah, I, know, I, know. I mean, a really, really cool one. <laughs> yes, yes. I'm a big Frasier fan. But yeah, there's a, there's a broad spectrum of different... I mean, how often... Not that you could, you'd be this unprofessional, but would you ever be in the room with uh, Harrison Ford and just go, "What is going on? Yeah. <laughs> How did this happen?" I, Over there is Antonio Banderas. Yeah, yeah. First of all, I, I I still do that all the time. Just the fact that I am amongst these greats. Um, I mean, there's Star Wars here. There's Lethal Weapons here. Blade is here. Terminator's here. Rocky and Rambo are here. Dude, it's it, it, look, Frazier's here. <laughs> you know what I mean? And Zorro is here. What can you say, man? It, it, <laughs> it's an honor and a privilege because me, I'm a little kid from Flint, Michigan. Yeah. Who grew up watching these movies? If I were you, if I would be on the first date, you make friends with everyone and go, yeah, yeah, can I get your number? Get your number? Get your number? And you just show your friends. That's Mel Gibson's <laughs> phone number. I know, I know. I'm too scared to call him. Uh, yeah, of but course. There it is. Let's it, text him. Well, <laughs> well, it reminds me of the NFL. In the NFL, you know, you grow up watching all these greats, and you just like the game is amazing and everything. And then you get drafted, and then you're in the locker room, and you look and you see the the names on the lockers. You're like, oh my god, that's so and so. Because just last year you were a, a, a you were a fan you were mm. out in the stand and now you're on the field and you gotta hit them in the mouth <laughs> you have to hit them in the mouth that's the truth that's the NFL same thing in an action movie what's so crazy is if you come in there as a fan they need you to be conflict Every scene, everything on the screen has to have conflict. You can't walk in there and be like, oh, you're so great. Is, I'm here with Sly, guys. And everybody's like, it, it, they would look at you like, get this guy out of here. <laughs> everything about what I do. I mean, it's funny. When I did my first scene with all the Spinnables, I'm, I'm bagging on Jet Li. You know what I mean? I'm coming at it like, so, so why we got to do this, man? You know? And I had to come with it to Sly. You know? And he needs you to not respect him that way. He needs you to be a conflict for him to make him look good. Yeah. And that was the thing. And I said, when I come up against Mel or, or, or you know Harrison or whatever, they don't need you to be a fan. They need you to come bring it so they have something to come up against. Because that's what keeps the eyes on the screen and the butts in the seats. So what you're saying is... You didn't do the robot on set? Not at all. Not at all. No. <laughs> that was no robot. <laughs> Who do you think of the Expendables would be the best person at the robot, aside from yourself? Aside from me. <laughs> uh, you know, Sly has kind of an automatic robot going on. They fused his <laughs> neck together. So he automatically kind of looks to the side like, kind of a RoboCop-ish thing. He's my homeboy. He knows that. <laughs> Sly. Sly would be a great robot. That's my man. You know, he's my mentor. That's my kid. That, he is the boss. The last thing I want to ask you then, uh, Terry, is do you have a superhero in you? You've been linked with a number of things. Yeah. I mean, first of all, I love the, the genre. I, I, I would love to do Luke Cage. I would love to be that. Um, and I just put it out there. It's not a problem. I mean, I'm not ashamed. You know what mm. I mean? Um, or, or whatever else comic you know a, a comic book character that fits and would be right um i even mentioned playing the thing before you know what i'm saying i don't i love movies and entertainment and 
popular culture and I'm made for it. I'm designed for it. You know what I'm saying? So my th- my question is, 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 does it fit their needs? And, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of times with the comic book stuff, you know, they're looking for people who are a lot younger and all that. But I think that uh, now, uh, all that being said, I am not missing a thing. I am in the Expendables. Yeah. I am a superhero. I don't, you know, people are like, don't you want to be in Star Wars and all that? I'm like, look, if that happens, I would love it. But I'm fine. You're Hail Caesar. I'm in, I, yeah, I, dude, I'm on Brooklyn Nine-Nine, one of the <laughs> hottest shows. I'll, I've got a great career. It's a wonderful thing. But dude, if I could play a superhero and it would be perfect and they, and they want me, I would jump at the chance. Oh, Luke Cage. Oh, man. I know. You said it. I didn't say it. Yeah, I did say it. Okay, Luke Cage. Someone said it. I can do it. <laughs> Terry, it's been an absolute pleasure, man. Thanks oh, for coming. I love you guys, Thank man. You. Thank you. Thank you. What a guy. What an amazing guy. Okay, Terry Crews there, the amazing Terry Crews. And now it's time for this week's movie news. Uh, we obviously have to start with the terrible news this week of the deaths of two Hollywood legends, Lauren Bacall and Robin Williams. Um, let's start with Lauren Bacall, shall we? Yeah, I mean, a Hollywood legend pretty much from, from kind of day one. She was 19 when she was cast into Have and Have Not opposite Humphrey Bogart, who would, of course, uh, become her husband. And um, and she came kind of fully formed as a star in a way that, that few people have managed before or since. You know, she projected uh, a kind of worldliness and a, and a poise far beyond her years. And, and that never really left her. She, she was... She came across as a fierce screen presence. I mean, if you read her book and you read interviews with her and so on, she clearly did have nerves. She clearly did have confidence issues, but that was, you know, that never came across on Mm. screen. She seemed to arrive as the legend she became. And, you know, great, great performances through the years and and even up until, you know, the last few years, you know, she worked with Lars von Trier. She kept kind of pushing the envelope. Um, I, I just watched Hull's Moving Castle the other day and she gives a great voice performance there as the Witch of the Waste um, and she will be missed, um, mm. but you know, uh, what a yeah. what a what a life! Yeah, what a voice as well. Um, what a life to have lived, and and you know, she lived every minute of it. So so good work, Lauren Bacall. It's a great feature written by Phil here to my right, which kind of goes through her career and her life in pictures. And the first one is the cover of her on Harper's Bazaar, which is an astonishing photograph of her mm. by a blood bank, and it's just devastatingly beautiful. You can see how somebody saw that and would want to get blood. <laughs> immediately and would want to put her in a film I is guess that, as well is that the cover that I read there was a cover of a magazine that actually Howard Hawks wife went yeah, yeah. that was the, that one, was the one that's the one amazing amazing favourite Lauren Bacall film Big Sleep I would say yeah great film Big Sleep that she'd been married to Bogart for a while and their chemistry was like probably at its most sizzling mm. in that film and also probably the best film she was in I would say I'd yeah. agree with that it's a great film honourable mentions though to like to Key Largo and Definitely. Yeah, and I think it's interesting that towards the end of her career, she was, she was still looking for interesting filmmakers to work with, and and you know she had a success on stage. She started on stage, and she sort of ended on stage. She won two Tony Awards on Broadway, off Broadway. You know, always challenging herself. She had you know three big relationships. Obviously, Bogart, Jason Robards. Jason Robards was another one that doesn't really get talked about, which mm. was pretty big. She had a child with, and um, Sinatra didn't last as long, but. You know, she had an incredible life, and uh, I think she ended up on Family Guy. Did you see the episode she was on Family Guy? Yeah. Go and watch um, To Have or Have Not or The Big Sleep ASAP. 
yes, indeed. And Lauren Bacall, of course, was uh, 89 uh, when she passed away, uh, RIP. And uh, Robin Williams this week, I think, was an enormous shock, something that really rocked a lot of people uh, in and out of Hollywood to their foundations. Extraordinary loss, Ali. This was really horrible for a lot of people. It was definitely a sad day in the street across the world. I don't know I don't know how I can under or over do this, but genuinely I was I found out about it just as I was going to sleep the night before because the news broke at about twelve mm. and it was like two hours of just kind of I don't wanna again, I just don't want to overstate this, but like staring at the ceiling because it's just he is an extraordinary he to me growing up was life. He was life. He was so vibrant and dynamic and exciting. He was so eleven out of ten all the time, uh, as far as his his on-screen performances were anyway. I just couldn't imagine a world where he wasn't around and it's still going to affect me for weeks. Like, I, again, I, I'm maybe going going overboard, but he is an, is and was, will ever be an incredible human being. And so much has been said online and so much has been said in papers and by people that you spoke to. Everyone woke up and said, have you heard the news? And everyone cared. He is just an innate volcano of funny. He was just so full of energy and life and love. And there are so many different sides of his personality that people forget, as well as all the films, which I suppose we don't need to necessarily go in into one by one because there are just so many great things he's done. But he was an avid gamer and loved World of Warcraft and mm. Zelda. And that's another side that people go, oh, right, yeah, okay. And yes, his stand-up was incredible too. And his charity work was extraordinary. Mm. Him just walking into improv clubs he would just turn up in San Francisco and say, yeah. hi, I'm here, let's do this. There was an amazing story I read this week of the um, the owner of the comedy store in London, the guy who, who founded the comedy store, uh, was talking about in 1982, he was doing a, a night and Alexis Sale was a compare and the, the show was about to start in the second half and Alexis Sale came up to him and went, I've got this weird American who's just turned up and wants to go on, what should I do? And the guy goes, I think his name is Don Hall, goes, give him five minutes before Rick Mail and Ed, Ed, Ed Evanson go on. He went, all right. So he gave him five minutes, and of course it was Robin Williams, and he did 45 minutes, and uh, amazing improvisational stand-up. And he comes off uh, comes off stage, and this big American promoter walks up to uh, Don Hall and says, how did you get Robin Williams? And Don goes, oh, well, we get Robin Williams every week. <laughs> you know, just made literally no idea who he was, which is it's just something that's very hard to fathom. But it was 1982, and... We only had three channels back then, and, you know, and uh, Mork and Mindy wasn't big over here at that point, I'm guessing, and there was certainly no Twitter. It's it's so bizarre, you know, the, the impact that this, this man made. When I think about him, I think about a, a comedian who was, you know, you say people are true one-offs, and I really do believe that of Robin Williams. You know, you look at the influence of, say, for example, Monty Python, and you can chart that in all the different comedy groups and all the different troops and all the different comedians that come up over the years and have have something clearly of Python about them, or John Cleese, or Michael Palin, or, or Eric Idle, and you can you can chart that influence. As, as, as I think Robin Williams was different. I think he was inspirational rather than influential. I think he maybe inspired people to try comedy, inspired people to, to want to, to go into it, but no one could match what he did. And I mean no one, not even Jim Carrey, who I think is the closest we have to him in that sort of, he is an absolute force of nature. He is a whirlwind. But I don't think anyone, I don't think I've ever seen anyone whose brain worked as fast as Robin Williams did. Yeah. Uh, is ex- absolutely extraordinary. We were at a film junket the other day and all the journalists were reminiscing about their interviews with him, where they just, he would just give them like five minute improv sessions. You know, they'd ask some questions and he'd just say funny stuff really funny stuff which is obviously kind of what you want when you're talking to Robin Williams but he just had the 
ability just to be funny off the cuff in that way. But I think unlike Jim Carrey, not to criticise Jim Carrey, but he had this warmth and this kind of, he mm. could convey empathy in a way yeah. that, you know, not all comedians can. And, and I think maybe that's why his, his death has been such, has really affected people because they can sense it. I, for me, I, there's the sequence in Good Morning Vietnam when he's in the Jeep and the, all the GIs are going off, some of them are going to die and he's, he's kind of connecting with them. You really feel that. You know, it's not just acting. He was giving himself and he was being funny. And I think that in a lot of ways, you know, that was what he was all about. Mm. Um, he, wa- he was very generous. I mean, you've, we've seen all the stories this week of him supporting upcoming comics, even just by going to the shows and laughing, I think, but also by kind of putting nerves at rest, you know, going in and being funny and charming with people. We should also say that you know, it wasn't just comedy. He, he was an all-rounder. He could do incredibly restrained reined in performances very subdued characters he could do very angry and very damaged and very damaging characters do incredible work as those as well so you know obviously you know one our photo dead poet society goodwill hunting insomnia mm-hmm. i mean you know world's greatest dad which if you haven't seen it is is even is almost unwatchably sad to watch now um you know he he really had the full gamut of gifts mm-hmm. Um, and he's a great loss. Indeed. Speaking of films are, you know, I, th- I think for me were unwatchable this week. Uh, I've had Dead Poet Society queued up in my skybox for a long, long time now because my wife hasn't seen it. I keep saying, oh, you should watch this film. It's great. It's great. And then the night he after he passed away, I thought, OK, we're going to sit down. We're going to watch Dead Poet Society. And I just there's something about it. I just couldn't bring myself to do it. Not that, you know, you know, anything not that there's any death in it as pertains to his character there is obviously death in the movie but uh, I don't know it's just something about it I just could not bring myself to watch it because I knew if I did I'd be in floods of tears so we ended up watching The Birdcage instead uh, and that's just that's a, a really fun uh, fun film to remember him by I think the weird thing is that for me you're talking about this as a dramatic actor for me even though he was quite possibly the funniest man on the planet it's his dramatic films I'll remember him for uh, not necessarily the comedies not necessarily the, the flubbers or the RVs or, or movies like that. It will be the Dead Poet Societies and the Goodwill Huntings that I'll be digging out when I can handle it. But The Birdcage was a, was a good one for me. Did you guys watch any Williams films over the uh My Friday night is going to be a triple bill. Really? What I've are you going to watch? Aladdin. I watched Good Morning Vietnam quite recently, so I, I may end up watching that again. I'm not sure. It's going to be Aladdin. My friend Ben loves, loves, loves Patch Adams. <laughs> okay. And I can't help but watch that. And I think Toys, because I've never watched it, and apparently it is fully off the bonkers scale. Mm. And, you know, you can't just wallow. The the scene in yeah. that where he gives a, a pep talk um, was apparently improvised. Apparently he didn't even know they were filming it. He just did it yeah. to get in character. This is the story. Um, and the, the yeah, his pep talk to his troops, if you will, okay. yeah. um, was apparently just something he was messing about with on set and they quietly turned the camera on. Um, and it is just wonderful. It's, it's it's a reason to watch the film on its own, but the, the, also the design is crazy and, and wonderful and bonkers. That's amazing. You know, because I read this week as well that he used to improvise whole swathes of Mork and Mindy, mm. which I find mm. astonishing given how tight scripts have to be for 22-minute epi- you know, weekly television. <laughs> and he would just, you know, they were just basically, I don't know if they ever wrote the script, and now Robin does something for five minutes. And I loved that show and I loved that character. Uh, you know, we're talking about Aladdin. Yeah. You know, how he changed uh, the way 
uh, Big Studios approach to animation. I mean, he went in there and he, he I read this again this week, he ad-libbed so much as a genie that it disqualified the film from a best yes. original script uh, screenplay nomination. <laughs> like, yeah. like, because he just departed so much from what he was saying. But then that informed what the animators did. And then, you know, so, I well, think... Eric Goldberg, who was the character animator on the genie, the, the key character animator, basically just told him, to get Robin Williams to do the job, he animated the genie to one of Robin Williams' stand-up performances. And that's how they persuaded him that this was going to work. And when he went into the booth, Eric Goldberg just said, just just go for it and I will I will take the best bits and I will match them. And and he did. I mean, he's, he's a genius animator as well. But there's something like 60 different versions of the genie character in the film because the animation changes to match what Williams is doing and saying. It's incredible. Uh, yeah, amazing. I think I think we've we've said it. There's obviously a lot of stuff on the uh, Empire website this week as well. A huge, huge loss. And uh, he will be missed. Robin Williams. Okay, so uh, any news this week? Anything that... This is a little bit speculative. Yeah. But it's an interesting idea. Ben-Hur. Now, it is a story, so it's not necessarily a remake, but it kind of is. Timber Beck-Bambatov. Mm-hmm. Beck-Bambatov. No, 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 I nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't need to be corrected. I, as always, got all the names right. Timber black Timber Manservant. He's directing this this planned project. John Ridley is doing the script, and a 2016 release date is on the horizon. MGM and Paramount are behind this one, and the rumour is, the speculation is, the wouldn't it be nice if, is that Tom Hiddleston could play... Tomber Hiddleston Benoff. Tomble Hiddleston Benoff, yes, could play Mr. Her. Sorry, Mr. Hyphen Her in the film. Now, again, wouldn't it be lovely... First of all, it brings back to the attention of the world, I guess, that they are, yes, doing another Ben-Hur. Who does that? MGM, Paramount, Timber, Ben Memelabov, yeah. Anton, John Ridley. Yeah, yeah. I'd, hmm. Speaking of Charlton Heston, you know. Absolutely. Timur Bergmambatov. Uh, big, big, big alarm bells ringing after Abraham Lincoln, Fabra Hunter. I don't know. I well, don't know. I mean, in fairness, there have been, what, three versions of Ben-Hur so far? They, they've done it about every 30 years. So maybe it's time. I mean, it's, it's been over 30. It's been more like 60, really. So, you know, maybe. I, do you think they'll go and see how um, Exodus, colon, Gods and Kings will do? In no way see Tom Hiddleston saying yes to this. He's doing far, far more illustrious works right now, including High Rise, of course. And there was a little image from that recently mm-hmm. on the Twitter. Yes, a little selfie with him and uh, Luke Evans and Ben Wheatley and the uh, DP Laurie Rose. Very, very cool. Yeah, shooting in Belfast at the moment. Sticking out. Hooray. Hooray for Belfast. I've got some news that I found on a file in my computer. (gasps) (laughs) Zoolander 2 2 may be happening. And we know this because Justin Peru, um, who's been attached to direct it, has said so. Um, It's still a maybe. It's been mooted for some time. It would obviously pick up with Hansel and Derek Zoolander a bunch of years later. Uh, Their looks presumably slightly faded. Blue steel somewhat past its best. And um, them trying to find their way, I guess, in, in a fashion industry that's probably turned its back on them. Uh, question is, what's the involvement? Who's going to be doing it if it happens? Justin Frew's in the HBO show The Leftovers, which I believe has just been commissioned for a second season. So that would, I would imagine, knock him out of directing, in which case he suggests that it will probably be Ben Stiller back behind the camera. Were it to happen, and I stress that it's still a were rather than a will. couple of questions. Will David Bowie be willing to come back? It's a good question. Yes. He better. If he doesn't, I think I'm out. Also, <gasps> I think they should call it Zoolander 2, Zoolanderer. Zoolanderer with a vengeance. 
No, 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 that's silly. Zoolander 2, Zoolander. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure I'm signing off on that, I'll be honest. When I was at college, I had bulimia. You can read minds? (laughs) (laughs) I'd love Zoolander, so I hope this happens. Uh, If it's as funny as the first one, I'm on board. There's part of me that wishes after Anchorman 2, why don't they just do a series of funny or die shorts using the same characters? Because I would get just as much of a kick out of it and I think there's less chance for it to contaminate the original product. I feel a little bitten by Anchorman. Not that it was that bad, but I do feel a little bitten. I'm going to defend Anchorman 2 because I love it. Um, But, yeah, I can see what you mean. But I also think this year we have had two very, very good, if not great, comedy sequels in Betweeners and, and Jump Street. So That's I think, true, but were there I think such a gap? Uh, yeah, no, I, I, get, I get what you're saying. And I, I have high hopes for Dumb and Dumber 2. So we shall see what happens. Well, that would be an even larger time lapse if it, if it happens, so, or when it happens. So. 20 years. Yeah. yeah. So it's, out, it's out in December. So we shall we shall see. Um, yeah, interesting. I don't know. I'd like to see Ben Stiller direct it, to be honest. Yeah, me too. I think that's the most interesting thing about it. Yeah. The idea of Ben Stiller doing that. So, Warner Brothers have two, not one, but two Aquaman scripts in development. Aquaman, you say? Are they writing it under DC? Oh, that works on so many levels. Now, tell me, Chris, was that a joke? Uh, Yes. Good. So we'll be taking that out of our Fringe show. That's for sure. No jokes in there. Right, so getting back to it, um, we have a version being written by Gangster Squad's Will Beale Mm -hmm. and another by 300 Rise of an Empire's Kurt Johnstad. So mm-hmm. there's two different versions of the script. Mm-hmm. The idea is that that way they double their chances of one of them being awesome and ready to go into production or possibly, you know, t- both of them having good ideas that they can mash together into some kind of superhero team-up thing that works. That's the plan. It would fit presumably into one of the release dates that they announced recently that go up as far as 2020. There have been reports of that I believe are so far unconfirmed by Warners themselves that Jason Momoa is playing Aquaman in Batman v Superman colon Dawn of Justice featuring Wonder Woman <laughs> featuring Wonder Woman brackets yes um, but uh, but those aren't those aren't confirmed yet but it, it, it appears that they are setting him up that they can you know introduce him vaguely there and then kind of launch him out into his own mm-hmm. story uh, for those of you who don't know Aquaman um, he's a regular member of the Justice League he is generally portrayed that there have been many changes to the backstory of course as the ruler of Atlantis he has very uh, incredible strength um, power swimming is the way we've chosen to describe it in our news story which is you know super underwater speed essentially and he can breathe underwater as well as in air and also talk to fish he, he probably can. sleeps with the fishes really he can uh, my good friend Namor the Submariner was on the phone to me today he said this sounds stupid <laughs> well uh, we said we weren't going to talk yeah. Marvel and then he, then he then he put on his tighty greenies <laughs> 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 flapped his little leg wings and <laughs> walked around a bit Aquaman I would say is one of the more difficult superheroes to to do what with combining the difficulty of shooting in or underwater with the difficulty of selling Aquaman it'll also be amusing to anyone who's watched Entourage who have already seen attempts in this direction yes Yes, this is going to be very, very interesting. But it's the, also the idea, I saw some screenwriter people I know on Twitter and Facebook who were slightly up in arms about this rival screenplay uh, concept, this idea that, you know, and they're basically now Thunderdome screenwriters in, in Hollywood. It could be for a sequel, them. whatever whatever works they might use for a sequel, ideas from it. Yeah, maybe. Possibly. And maybe this is something they've been doing for a while, but, uh, you know, 
they're just more open with it with the Aquaman thing. But is it best practice? Really? Don't you just want to pick a writer, pick his vision or her vision, pick his or her vision and 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 go for it and just let them do it? Isn't it a little bit what like the other that's a really horrible sentence. <laughs> that was amazing. <laughs> Isn't it a bit like what the other superhero company that we won't mention is doing with their sort of in house development process? Yeah, you you know it. Vertigo. In that they're developing stories like for everything. And then they're only putting into production this one that actually works. The idea being, and and f- frankly, it's not a bad idea. The script is the cheapest possible part of production. You know, even if you're overpaying a screenwriter, that's still cheaper than everything else that goes into making a movie. So you may as well, you know, play around there, get everything nailed on paper, mm-hmm. and then try and make it good. You may be giving them more credit than they, they deserve. Perhaps. But we shall see. Uh, just very, very quickly, Aquaman is a, a character that it, it inspires a lot of debate. Uh, yesterday uh, we took to Twitter we said we're talking a lot about Aquaman in the office at the moment sample discussion does his house have a roof if so why there were some very very funny responses uh, at it's me Luke Penny for shade all the light refracts in the water and gets in his eyes that's natural uh, Plum World nothing do you do with you oh no nothing Plum World UK said because his stuff would float away if he didn't <laughs> so that means he's got a sweep knocking up against the ceiling Mr Ashley Ingram said "How does his house have a bathroom does he do the washing up good question <gasps> Very good question. Craig Moran said, of course he does. How else would he host a barbecue? A very, very good question indeed. Excellent response. Of course it has a roof, said, at 37227. Otherwise, this pool would always be filthy. Fair point. And then <laughs> someone simply said, Jorge Liner said, he still needs some privacy. No one wants to see the ruler of the dolphin. Sorry. No one wants to see the ruler of the ocean petting dolphins. Walls and roofs are necessary. Somebody else made a really good point, which is you need to have a roof because... People throw things into the sea and then it might float down to the bottom and hit him on the head. This is very true. All philosophical thoughts for your uh, <laughs> your Saturday afternoon walk you're currently enjoying. Yeah. Poor old Aquaman. Any more for any more with in terms of the movie news or should we get on with another interview? There's a very quick story that uh, Daisy Ridley, um, she was mentioned in a, a talent agency uh, industry story that she is apparently lined up already for Star Wars episodes eight and nine, which uh, very much confirms all the rumours that she is a, a major role in episode seven. But of course, this is all, you know, just industry bump at the moment. One of the stories also mentioned that Ryan Johnson will direct episode nine. So far, to the best of our knowledge, all that's been confirmed is that he is writing eight and nine and directing eight but this suggests that he is planning to direct nine as well. Greedy. Indeed. By the way, uh, da- Daisy Ridley is on Twitter. Yes. She is at Ridley underscore Daisy. All right. Uh, should we have another guest on the show? Should we drag him into the booth? Hurrah. Even though it was pre-recorded oh. in a different place. Confusing. Yeah, I know, but we have to keep it up. For pre- oh, I see. Right, yeah. Was that a joke? Also, does anyone think that you're going to be able to drag this guy into the booth? I could drag this guy. Really? I could totally drag this you guy. You want me to tell him that? No. Could you drag him... Uphill, wearing ice skates? I, I, I couldn't. I couldn't. I should. I'd like to. Uh, anyway, uh, you probably guessed who it is because we told you who it was at the beginning of the show. It is, of course, a second expendable. Uh, he's also an action icon who strutted his spectacularly funky stuff in the likes of Blade, Demolition Man and Passenger 57. He's also a phenomenal actor as seen in the likes of Chunkle Fever. And yes, white men can't jump. He's brought joy to untold millions before, sadly, undeclared millions saw him depart our screens for an unscheduled stint in prison. But now Wesley Snipes, for it is he, is back, back, back. And he was speaking to myself and Ali once again in a London hotel room not far from here. Enjoy. Uh, we're delighted to be joined on the Empire podcast by the legendary Wesley Snipes, star of The Expendables 3, and of course, the Daywalker himself. Hello, sir. How are you? 
How are you? <laughs> Did not expect that. Good to see Excellent. you in the daylight. <laughs> I can now die happy, which is good. Have you been? Have you had a, any walks in the day when you've been here in London? Have you, had, you know, walked around and seen any good sights? Or yeah, and I see there's a lot of vampires around here. <laughs> uh, no, no, yes, uh, yeah, not this time. I've been quite yeah. busy this time, but. Yeah. Uh, the last time I was here, I got a chance to walk around. And I think you were here for the, uh, you, you went to the X-Men premiere. Yes, I did. Time, I got yeah. locked up and crashed a party. <laughs> got a ride and everything. You know, told them I was Wesley Snipes and they let me in. <laughs> so that is easy. Is, that's how it works. You just. Sometimes you got to pull that card out, man, you know. <laughs> you know, they never guaranteed. <laughs> got to pull that card out. <laughs> have, have you ever honestly said, don't you know who I am? Uh, no, never use that. But, you know. I did stand there a little while longer, <laughs> silently, turning my head side to side. <laughs> Expendables 3 is a, a whole bunch of fun, and coming out of it, I uh, I raced home and watched Demolition Man for the first time in years. Oh, yeah. Because I needed more Sly and Wesley Snipes. I needed, I needed more of that dynamic. Oh, man, um, thank you. What was thank it like uh, being on set of Expendables 3? Because I imagine you, you guys, had you seen each other recently? Or it was had a blast. You? Well, no, we hadn't seen each other in a minute. But uh, we've kept in touch over the years, uh-huh. and uh, I consider him not only a friend but a mentor, especially when it comes to uh, managing fame and managing the lifestyle of an action star, as they so as you so call it, uh, hyphenated artist, uh-huh. and uh, going through the highs and lows of life, and you know how to maintain you know that uh, positive attitude uh-huh. uh, about life and about your craft. So. That he's he's a he's a dear dear friend, mm. and I respect him greatly. And it was a great opportunity to work with him again. You know, I've been looking forward to that. He gave you a cracking role as well. I mean, with a name like Doctor Death. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, how do you turn down that script? <laughs> so who am I playing, Doctor Death? Yeah, I'm a yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and he gave me. And I, I was able to be a knife man too. So you know, it all worked out together. Yeah. Got a chance to do a little martial arts in there, and. Mm. Uh, Crack some jokes, yeah. you know, in my own in his own way, and you know, have a nice, uh, a nice little mix of d- d- scariness and humor and dynamics all at the mm. same time. You know. uh, did old habits die hard with you, though? Were, were there any times on set where you found yourself just accidentally trying to kill Sly instead of teaming up? <laughs> no, but I did have my blonde wig with me just in case. <laughs> You know, you never know. <laughs> Had to pull that out the bag. One right? of the great hairstyles yeah. in, in movie history. <laughs> yeah, and I've seen it now amongst a, lo- amongst a lot of football players, you know. Yeah. A lot of football players have been rocking that blonde hair. <laughs> I don't think they're wearing dungarees, though. Denim dungarees, probably not. No, no, no probably not. Probably Look, we're not. still trying to figure out what's up with the three seashells, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so... That's a riddle for the ages, that one. Yeah. yeah. We had the discussion on the on the way in here because uh, we, we, we mentioned Simon Phoenix didn't care about the three seashells. He's just the sort of guy who absolutely will go not. where he wants. Yeah, yeah, absolutely not. Yeah. Definitely didn't care about the three st- <laughs> seashells. Not beholden to conventions. I think one of my favorite lines of the film is when you take a shotgun and blast it at one of the, um, the models up in the glass things and you say, what's your boggle? And then just let off a gun. And you go... That man there got paid for his work today. <laughs> and that's a wonderful thing. <laughs> it's amazing. And just one last thing about uh, Demolition Man, Wesley. Uh, having rewatched it again recently, last night, in fact, there's an astonishing bit where Simon Phoenix impersonates some Chinese people. <laughs> now, 
How on earth it did you get Chinese away with people. that? <laughs> it wasn't Chinese people. It was, you know, his version of his, of, of what he thought was Mandarinese. Okay. <laughs> there was a distinction, Chris. <laughs> I stand It wasn't Chinese people. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Fair enough. It's an astonishing moment. It really is. Well, you know, he was, he was kind of obnoxious anyway in his own way. So mm, he, he was able to get away with it. You have, in your career, been able to deliver the most amazing lines, not just the ones mentioned earlier, but I know, Chris, one of your favourites you're going to bring up later. But, oh, yeah. But always bet on black is a line. I was wondering whether people say that to you in, in the street when they see you. Do they just shout that at you? All the time. Yeah. Is that the most popular All one? the time. That one, that one is one of the more popular ones that they shout out. You know? And don't let me walk into a casino. Because <laughs> you know, the big cats, they'd be at the table or at the, or the board or at the wheel, and you know they're hollering across the floor. <laughs> Wesley, hey, always bet on black, baby. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you don't have the heart to say that. That's that's not the first time I've heard that one. <laughs> <laughs> and yours is from mine's from Blade. Like, I'm a huge Blade fan. Okay, love Blade. And. Uh, some motherfuckers are always trying to ice skate uphill. Yeah, that was a good one. Great payoff line. That uh, was a good one. Where did that come from? That came from a, a script uh, review session in my house. Mm-hmm. And Goyer and myself and I think there was one other person, I want to say one of the other producers, we were all sitting around at my, uh, at my what, at the breakfast table. And we were talking about some of the lines in the movie and some of the, the mindset of Blade and for somewhere somehow it just came out it came up and came out and they fell out laughing and said, they said okay we're going to use it in the movie <laughs> I, mean, I thought maybe it might have been an ad lib and maybe somewhere on the cutting room floor there's nine or ten other things where you were saying well no it was an ad lib at the time yeah. because okay. it wasn't yeah. scripted yeah. initially but uh, you know that was one of the ones that, and that's the benefit of having rehearsals and script reviews and script, script readings you get the chance to play with these uh, concepts and ideas and explore. Mm. And that was one of the gems that, that came out of that process. Was there any of that for Expendables 3? Because there's one particular joke which has the whole room bellowing with laughter. And I think you know the one I mean. Yeah, it's yeah on the don't play. give it away, though. I don't want to give it away. Yeah. <laughs> was there plenty of uh, scripts? No, that one was actually... That one was scripted. Okay. Yeah, but the trick was to put the, 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 the delivery. Uh-huh. How to deliver it right so that it it seems serious, but it's an inside joke yeah. between us and the world. <laughs> you guys need it all listening. Everyone listening, go and watch the film and you know exactly <laughs> what we're talking yeah. about. Yeah. And you'll be glad I asked that question. And it's kind of ironic too, you know. It's like, oh, that's the baddest thing. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Seems like a pretty harsh such an evil person. He's <laughs> such an evil person. My gosh. Now, I went onto your IMDb page because it's what I do as a professional journalist. I research really in detail. But mm-hmm. I love looking at the trivia page because it's of, we call this the IMD bunker because there's so much rubbish on there. Mm-hmm. But one thing I'm fascinated by yeah. is that it says you are a fanatical music lover and that you own, and I love how precise this is, a 1,000 LPs <laughs> and 4,000 CDs. Is this still the case, or has it ever been the case? Well, I don't know if the numbers are right, but the collection is pretty, uh, pretty robust. Mm. Yeah, because I started DJing. Well, I was always a music lover, but I started DJing in college, okay. and that got me hooked on to you know digging and finding you know good good music and seeking out 
interesting tracks and, and the like. And, and also I had some friends who fell on hard times and, you know, I was in a position to just, um, adopt some of their uh, collections as well. So, What's your proudest piece in your collection? Is there a specific, like, rare LP that you have that you're very proud of? Well, I have some 78s from my great-grandmother. Wow. Yeah, I still have 78s. I don't know where we're going to play them. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how we're going to pull that one off. But That's interesting. Yeah. yeah. Finals making a comeback, but not that much of a comeback. And I have a couple of... Uh, Wax cylinders somewhere. <laughs> the colored LPs. You remember those? Yeah, well, the specially printed ones. Yeah, yeah. special printed, rare editions, you know, with the colors. Some of them are sky blue. Some of them are yellow. Wow. Make good Red. They do make good frisbees. Uh, are you? No, uh, you can't do make a frisbee <laughs> out of it, no, man. Obviously, they're sacred. They're sacred. Oh, we wouldn't, we wouldn't dream of doing that. Give me that. a heart attack. I <laughs> see you throwing them. Oh, no. First of all, get out of my house. <laughs> what are you doing with my record collection? That's please leave. it. You're out of here. <laughs> uh, take off the Blade costume and leave, please. Um, so, you know, when you come to a city like London or, you know, do you go to record shops? Do you start buying stuff? Or do you... One really of the first like, times I came to London, that's exactly what I did. I mean, I made it a point. And I was hanging out with uh, Jazzy B at the time, and who's still one of my good friends. Uh, and he turned me on to a couple of different record stores here and I actually had a chance to go to a flea market area I want to say either it was Brixton or yeah these not the east end but the south end Brixton maybe Brixton. Right. Brixton was yeah maybe and man they had some of the rarest coolest soul CDs and rare rare editions you know I, I man I remember that was in the 90s <laughs> And I spent up a lot, a lot of per diem over there. <laughs> yes, I did. Yes, I did. I like how you, you know because you, you, you guys have such a eclectic taste in music, and yeah. you appreciate not just the popular music, but you appreciate mm -hmm. some of the old stuff. You appreciate the classics, mm -hmm. cross genre classics, and the the, the remixes, the rares, the side Bs. Mm -hmm. You appreciate that, and they were and they were there. They were everywhere, and I was like, "Oh man, I never even heard of this track." Well, oh, man, it was what a that was a joy. That was one of the best trips I've had here. Right after this interview, yeah, we'll go straight down there. Absolutely, we'll get some more details. I've got another line they have on IMDb is he's close friends with Woody Harrelson. Is that still the case? Absolutely. And can he fix you up with a gig on True Detective season two? Ah, <laughs> ah. Well, I don't know. I don't know. We came close to doing something, and um, the um, um, Hunger Games. Mockingjay, you know, wow. that was there was some conversation about that. And he tried to put in a good word and some people had reached out to me. They didn't come because they went a different direction ultimately. But that was close. Uh, but, you know, I have to call him up, say, look, you know, can you hook me up? Hook your brother up. <laughs> hook your brother up. See what happens. Uh, there's another yeah. one here. While in elementary school in the Bronx, you were called Scopes because of the sunglasses you wore. Is that is that true? Not true. Not true. Man, debunked. Debunked. What's Not a, true. What an amazing. I never line. wore sunglasses. I never wore glasses when I was in elementary school or high school. I couldn't afford sunglasses, man. That's a fantastic lie. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Who would make scopes? That up? <laughs> nah, wasn't me. The, uh, the There's a bunch of them on there. I mean, we could, we could have a whole interview where we just go down a list of list of the ones that are true and, and false. There's a bunch of them. That's pretty much what we do. There's, <laughs> there's one I think is we do. We pretty much know this is true that you were originally down to play the Hail Caesar role 
back in the day mm. for Expendables 1. Yes, I heard that. You yes. heard that? Yes. Yes, I heard that. Because uh, the reason why I bring it up is because um, originally that character was going to be called Jazz Gumbo. Is that right? So I think he dodged a bullet. <laughs> Jazz Gumbo. <laughs> Jazz Gumbo. Okay. Jazz Gumbo, yeah. Uh, that is a true story. It sounds kind of soft. From Mr. Cherry Cruz himself. <laughs> it does, doesn't it? Uh, and the last thing, Wesley. It doesn't sound very hard. It sounds kind of... <laughs> Hi, I'm Jazz Gumbo. And you're carrying this massive mini Stick them up. <laughs> You've been such a natural. Such a natural. Uh, the last thing is, before we let you go, uh, is, as you know, this is the 16th anniversary of Blade. How have you celebrated? 16th anniversary. 16th anniversary of Blade this year. Holy macaroni. 16 years. Wow. Yeah. So have you, have, you, have you celebrated? Are you going to celebrate? No, Do you have any no, plans just, to celebrate? I didn't, I didn't even remember that, you know. <laughs> I don't age. So <laughs> <laughs> I, didn't, I wasn't even thinking about it. <laughs> I have to figure out, you know, there's a blood club around here somewhere, you know. Nice rave and see where we can go and get some. We can hook Mr. Snipes up, right? Yeah. Yeah. With a with okay. blood club? Blood so, club? Yeah. Okay. Blood we'll club and then. Some blood teenies. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We'll do that. Brilliant. Wesley Snipes, it's been a pleasure. Thank you it's so much. It's been a pleasure. Oh, cheers. Cheers. Okay. So, uh, Wesley Snipes and Terry Crews means that we should probably start with the Expendables 3. Otherwise, they'll come around and start killing us. Uh, or Scott Adkins will, will kill us. He's not in this one. Poor Scott. He's I'm not sorry. in this one. He was killed off by the Expendables last time around. Not uh, That's. Not a spoiler. He was uh, a bad guy, so Does he deserved. Happen. He deserved it, Scott. You deserved it. Um, please don't kill me. Do you want the story of Expendables three? Yes. yes. Do you want to know what happens in Expendables three? Yes. Do you want me to tell you what happens in Expendables three? Does anything happen in Expendables three? Does it matter? Here no. is what happens in Expendables three. Okay. Now the team that you know, with all their lovely, amazing, great names, uh, you know their actual names are also good. Erdolf Lundgren. Uh, <laughs> yes. It's just a cracking name. Barney Ross, Lee Christmas, Toll Road, Hell Caesar. Ying Yang, who's barely in this one, mm-hmm. and uh, Gunnar Jensen. They're, they're, well, they're, they're, they're the five, because Jet Li... Well, yeah, he yeah. comes and goes. Yeah, he comes and goes. Anyway, so there are five of them, yeah. and they are, they're just doing a job. They're, uh, and one of the jobs that they're doing is busting Dr. Death, as mentioned, Wesley Snipes, out of a prison transport. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is going into prison, and he's going to prison on a train. Now, Dr. Death, and this is where there's a little bit of uh, tension here, is another knife man. And as everyone knows... Jason Statham's Lee Christmas is also a knife man, so there's a lot of stuff going on there, am I right? Yes, I am right. They bust him out of this train. Things go boom. Another thing goes boom. Another thing goes boom. Then another mission comes down, and they discover Conrad Stonebanks, a one-time expendable played by Mel Gibson, is still alive. Now, Sly's character, Barney Ross, Mm. thought he'd killed him. He had not. This sends everything into disarray for Barney Ross, and one of their number gets into danger. Okay, I'm not going to say anything, but this leads Bonnie Ross to realise that he needs to unpack and dismantle the Expendables as they know it and get some fresh blood in. Bonnie Ross goes around the world, around the US, trying to find new members of the team. They get the new members of the team and then, believe it or not, and I don't want to spoil too much here, the new team and the old team somehow get involved together and there's a big fight at the end. Yeah, that's pretty much it. That's pretty much it. And the reason why I tell you that whole thing is because it's indicative of the whole movie. There are so many people in this. There are so many people. You saw the the bus posters. They run out of bus. And this has the likes of Schwarzenegger in it. And he's just a guy in the background waving a pinky. There's just no room for him. Most space is given to Sly Stallone's watch. But anyway, there's a lot going on here. There's a lot of five-minute screen time chunks for different people. Antonio Banderas is in this film and he steals every scene as a kind of a manic, insecure, very funny, wall-flipping, beanie-hat-wearing nutbar. And it's just 
on and off a lot more fun than the previous two films. The first film I thought was incredibly po-faced and too dark. The second film had potential but didn't really quite deliver. But this one, though it has a muddly, middly, a bit lame, dare I say it, second act, actually is as close to getting it right Mm. as any film like this has done for years. I agree. We went into this with fairly low expectations. I would say solidly said, low. Apologies, Mr. Atkins, but yeah, I, th- I thought the first two films... The, the problem with the problem with the Expendables so far is that it doesn't seem to get its own premise. Mm. It is an utterly ridiculous premise that deserves to be played with his tongue rammed so far through his cheek it would stab the guy next to you. It doesn't do that. As you said, it's incredibly poor-faced. It's incredibly serious and actually aims for real emotion, which, you know, if anyone watched Com- Cobra or Commando or Tango and Cash, or any of those films from the from the, uh, the 80s, those great action movies, they didn't do that. They were all ridiculous, pumped-up, tongue-in-cheek extravaganzas. Um, rewatching Demolition Man recently, I, I kind of wanted that Sly Stallone, that wisecracking glib Sly Stallone, to be in this movie, because he takes this stuff far too seriously, where everyone else around him is... In this movie, pretty much treats it at the level it should be treated at. Uh, but we went with low expectations. Genuinely, this is the best Expendables movie. I know that is the very height of Damien with fame praise, but it is genuinely good fun. And the, 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 the final action sequence in which all the Expendables take on Con and Stonebanks and a, and a fer- virtual, well, an army of people, it's actually good. It's no, good. But don't get the impression that this has, and I, this sounds unfair, but like the best production values there have mm. ever been. No. This is also really hamstrung by the 12A rating. You feel it in this movie more than the other two. You really do. Because they actually do a lot of really great fight choreography and inventive stuff. But there isn't the delivery on what you're what you're expecting. Uh, Ronda Rousey, if I've got that name uh, mm-hmm. pronounced correctly, does some amazing mixed martial arts stuff. Lots of leg flipping, Jean-Claude Van Damme type stuff. And that works. But anything that actually involves being shot, being stabbed... You don't get the impact. At one point, Dr. Death, Wesley Snipes, who's also great in this film, mm. him and Antonio Banderas are so good, slices someone's neck right in the jugular. And not Cause, a, not Because what happens is, I, I don't know, if the, it's probably a deleted scene, but his knife is super hot. So oh. as he cuts through the veins, it cauterizes cool. the wound. So there's no blood. Well, that's no handy, given that the yeah. rating agencies go entirely by the amount of blood when deciding what rating to give. That's why they call it... Uh, <laughs> That's why they call him Dr. Death, yeah, because yeah. he's um, a real doctor. Also, there's Harrison Ford in this film. We haven't even mentioned Harrison yeah. Ford, who, let's be honest, kind of walks through this one. He does a little bit. And at times just sits. He does. There are good points about Expendables 3. I say, yes, you're right, Wesley Snipes and Tony Banderas is a lot of fun. Kelsey Grammer, there was a lot of people going, what the hell is Kelsey Grammer doing in the Expendables movie? He's a sort of talent agent, a recruitment officer, if you will, that Barney Ross goes to when he's looking for new blood. And he's very, very fun in that role as well. In fact, it's the movie's best comedic moment, I would say. The problem is that the, the new blood aren't given enough time to really ingratiate themselves with with audiences and the old blood are then kind of shunted off screen from pretty much the entire the entire middle section of the movie they're reduced to appearing in a montage looking sad and mopey while Barney Ross I, goes around the, goes around the country yeah i was just going to say this <clears throat> this feels to me like a film about sulking like for large chunks of it when when the old expendables get summarily kind of dismissed Mm. And Stone never really sort of explains why he doesn't need them anymore. I guess he's he doesn't want them to get hurt and they're starting to look a bit aged and arthritic. You could see Dolph Rundgren's lower lip wobble at one point. 
Yeah. It's very it's very sad to watch these yeah. guys and you just they were a bit diminished by that. I hadn't seen either of the first two films and I was worried I was going to be lost a little bit <laughs> in the mythos. I wasn't going to be sure of where some of the characters were coming from and some of the themes, the subtext was going to be lost on me. But it wasn't. And you enjoyed it. As and far I as really it went. enjoyed it as far yeah. as it went. Yeah, I, I went in with no expectations whatsoever and I had fun. I, I think, thought it was fun. I think Mel Gibson's legitimately great in this movie. Probably. Yes, I Gibson's agree. great. Banderas is great. They should have just it had new Gibson, new Banderas, new Snipes, and not added the genuine dozen other people to this film. It's like a Where's Wally meat locker. Like you're trying to work out where the plot is, where the film is amongst all of this, all these biceps. At one point, you're just like, it's too many people. It's too much fighting. It's too much everything. Just trim it down. Okay, but I, yeah, I think we, we gave this film three stars. I think that's that's just about right. I think they're, they're getting so close to getting it right, to nailing it. I think by Expendables 47, they should finally, finally get there. Um, but yeah, three stars. Genuine recommendation. So do stick it out if you're in the mood for some explosions and thrills and, and classic movie stars delivering bad one-liners. And some good one-liners. And some good one-liners, yeah. Next up is The Rover, which is David Michaud's follow-up to Animal Kingdom, which sees Guy Pearce, also from that film, of course, uh, play a man who's very determined to retrieve his stolen car in post-apocalyptic Australia. And Robert Pattinson is the young man he kidnaps along the way uh, in order to help him do it. I'm, I'm, I'm dancing around the Robert Pattinson's character a little bit there, but uh, Phil? Um, his first film, Animal Kingdom, which just came out of nowhere for me and was one of my favourite films of um, 2011, mm-hmm. please. Phenomenal. I guess I guess this is another one of those sort of expectation things. The expectation levels have risen and this is not quite what that film was. Um, it's got, it's set in, as you say, in Australia after a unspecified collapse. It's an apocalypse that seems to be of a sort of financial origins. There's still currency, although it's American dollars. There's Americans, there's people from all over the world. There's this kind of diaspora of people who have gathered in the outback of Australia. And um, into that, Michaud and Joel Edgerton, who wrote the story, set this revenge tale, basically. It's kind of a revenge road trip where Guy Pearce's character, who's suffered and done some bad things, um, needs to get his car back. So we've we've called it in the self in the slug for our review, dude, where's my car? Which is kind of what it is with a lot of extra violence. Robert Pattinson, a little bit like I'm sure Helen would agree, like like Daniel Radcliffe after Potter, he's making very careful choices to do interesting things. And I totally think, first of all, you've got to applaud that, and second of all, I think he's he's good in this. I don't think everyone's going to love his performance, but he really throws himself into it as this kind of is a bit of an of, of mice of men type of relationship he has with Guy Pearce. Yes, it's sort of a bit Cormac McCarthy does Mad Max kind of thing. And the support cast is excellent. I was just I was just a little bit underwhelmed by it, I have to say. I couldn't quite pinpoint why. Maybe it was just aside from those two leads that just didn't didn't seem to be a lot going on and I think it suffered a bit from Michaud's decision not to specify exactly what this world was and uh, you know give you some sense of context and some sense of the greater stakes and so whilst you're in it it feels it reminds you of the Mad Maxes the Aussie New Wave films mm. the film that we keep talking about um, Wake and Fright Wake and Fright mm. and that kind of stuff that really grubby gnarly road-like outback landscape when, once you once it's finished it, it's not a film that really lingers that long we gave it three stars yeah I mean uh... I guess it's not a lot to add. I think I enjoyed it more than you did. Enjoyed is probably the wrong word when describing the rover. I admired it probably more than you did. Um, I think you'd probably be right. It's a slight downturn from Animal Kingdom, but um, the performances are fantastic. Guy Pearce in particular is terrifying in this movie, and I don't think I would ever have said that about Guy Pearce 
beforehand. Um, I think Robert Pattinson is very, very good, very, very committed. Um, it is a little bit relentless in his dedication to misery and drudgery. However, um, the world in which it's set, I think that's entirely fair. It's a world in which I think I would last three minutes. How, how long would you last if the if if the great economic collapse comes and yeah, everyone's fed? Yeah, well, I mean, I'd hope to do a sort of Tina Turner and end up as some kind of you know <laughs> queen of the Thunderdome. But I mean, yeah. realistically, you're probably right. It's well, probably you, you three know, to five minutes. Two men enter, one man leaves. Yeah, I'd be the one man who doesn't leave. <laughs> so that would be that would be me. Um, yeah, this is the thing because I think this film's being missold slightly. It is being missold as this. Uh, dark Mad Max style thriller in the trailer there's a very prevalent shot of a car flipping over and Guy Pierce behind a wheel looking very dogged determined and that all takes place in the first five minutes after that it's a lot of dark and nihilistic conversations about the end of the world and killing people and God and faith and judgement uh, however it's well written stuff it's well delivered and it's well directed and mm. I, I look forward to seeing what uh, David Michaud does next it tiptoes towards those sort of road movie, those sort of road thriller dual style tropes mm. you know there's a bit where the guys have got his car and he catches up with them from behind you see them in the rear view mirror here comes Guy Pearce like the Terminator mm. and, and, and that scene ends with them all stopping and having a chat and you're like okay well, so it, it's not that sort of movie yeah, you're but, so right it's not yeah. that sort of movie yeah yeah but it's also a chat that's laden with absolutely no 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 I'm not well. I'm not diminishing it's 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 got gut punch to it it's just not a thriller it's more of a it's more interested in the character the character dynamics I would mm. say and just depends on whether you feel that these characters are, are people worth spending 95 minutes with some people may think not but uh, three stars for the rover I would say do go and check it out this week uh, also out this week is Simon Pegg's latest solo vehicle he was on the podcast last week it's called Hector and the Search for Happiness directed by Peter Chelsom Hector and the Search for Happiness it, it, it has moments that will make you feel happy and it will have moments that make you search for those moments that make you feel happy um, probably more of the latter than the former and that is about as convoluted a review as you're ever going to hear of this film it, we gave it two stars Simon Pegg has charm but he's a little hampered by his character who for me is probably the, the year's most kind of whining um, self-entitled twit um, this is Hector this is Hector and he's searching for happiness and he's searching for happiness now Hector is not uh, he's not He's not diagnosed with depression. So I think it's fair to say that in this instance, his incredibly, from the surface, um, uh, um, what's the word? Hang on a second. Comfortable. His incredibly comfortable life as a psychiatrist who's supposed to be listening to other people's problems, but doesn't really, um, in a beautiful flat with Rosamund Pike as his girlfriend who dotes on him and gives him all the time he needs, departs the, to travel the world and find the meaning of life. And really, you end up with a lot of life lessons that you can pick up from a self-help book, which is, I think, a point made in several reviews. Um, and some interestingly first base kind of foreign characters, should we say, as he travels into China and then into Africa and then reunites with his ex. And he's just not a guy you can get with. And I think the other thing I picked up from this is I think it's a German book and it's directed by an Englishman, mm -hmm. written by, I believe, a Swedish woman. This I could be making this up. I should probably check. Anyway, it's got a bit of a, um Esperanto feel to it. It doesn't feel... British as a it's being sold as a British comedy. It doesn't necessarily feel like that in that way. It doesn't have that Simon Pegginess to it, um, which quite. So yes, miss the mark. Two stars. Uh, what well, by fans of uh, of Peg? Will they be happy? If you love if you love Simon Pegg, uh, and don't we all? Then he's in it, and he's good in it. Uh, I just don't like the character that much. Okay, 
Um, so two stars for Hector in the search for happiness and uh, last but not least this week we have uh, The Congress directed by Ari Folman who did the incredible waltz with Bashir and this is a very how do you describe this one? <laughs> Odd is yeah. probably the word it, it, I, I really like this actually it's, uh, it's something I saw late last year and it still lingered with me mm. uh, very much so it starts in live action um, uh, Robin Wright plays Robin Wright um, an actress who appeared uh, back in the again. day. I know, right? Uh, she, she's an actress who, who appeared in The Princess Bride and Forrest Gump, and, and her career has never quite uh, reached sort of A-plus list, if you will. And um, her agent, who's played by Harvey Keitel at one point early on, just sort of excoriates her for her choices and, and the, the terrible choices she's made in her career and, and her love life and everything else, and it feels really quite raw. You're just sort of looking at her face as he says all of this. And persuades her to take a deal she's been offered, which is that uh, a studio head played by Danny Houston is essentially buying up stars' images. So the deal is you go in, you get scanned head to toe, um, you you know you act out emotions for this huge scanner, which is a real thing that actually exists. And then the studio owns your image and your rights to performance for life and you retire completely from all performance and never perform again. She tries to make conditions, you know, she doesn't want to do sci-fi movies, she's never liked them, she doesn't want to do this, she doesn't want to do that. He basically ignores most of them. Um, and and that's the, the sort of first act. And then things get seriously strange. Cut to 20 years later, her deal is up for renewal, um, and she goes to a congress to discuss it, where by taking a very strange drug, um, everything around you becomes animated. And then things get even weirder in the third act, uh, which I won't go into. But it is uh, a really, I mean, you know, whether Dan, who wrote our review, didn't find the, the sort of the themes that compelling, given that we're kind of already there. This is a kind of a, uh, oh, my goodness, what if story. But we're kind of we're there already. We have performance captured to, in, in much the way that this, the film suggests. We just haven't got the animated world bit down yet. But um but it is a it is a really interesting film about sort of identity and our relationship to the real world and what we see as reality as opposed to imagination and and it's it's seriously weird but kind of beautiful i mean the the animated scenes are incredible they they mix animation styles she's slightly disney-esque but around her are the sort of squash and stretch figures you might have seen in sort of 1920s Felix the Cat cartoons or something. Um, there's lots of kind of yellow submarininess. There's lots of sort of cool worldless uh, from Ralph Bakshi. There's loads of different animation styles kind of mixing it in together. A little bit of Miyazaki in there as well. Um, so it's it's a beautiful mix of of craziness which I think makes it something quite special. So we give this three stars. Personally, I'd be a little bit higher than that, but it's definitely worth a look if you have a high stomach for craziness. Is it as good as Bedknobs and Broomsticks? <laughs> it's a lot better than Bedknobs and Broomsticks, I would say. I mean, it's probably right that it's not as good as Waltz with Bashir. It doesn't have quite the same uh, weight as that, for certainly for most of its running time. But the mm. end, I thought, was a bit of a gut punch. So it's uh, it's got some it's got a sting in the tail. So just like Bedknobs and Broomsticks. <laughs> yeah, hell yeah. It's interesting, though, that David Michaud and Ari Folman are both out this week with their second films following up for me both stick yeah. on died died in the wall five star masterpieces yeah um, um with films that aren't quite as good um but it's good that they're both doing something ambitious and different and really kind of pushing the envelope a exactly bit. so i was going to say you know bodes well for the future for those two directors indeed I, for us anyway three stars down for the congress and that is it for this week's emperor podcast 
Alan Filler High Fiving. Enjoy. Uh, join us next week for more film related fun. We'll be joined not by Explosive Expendables co stars. Phil, you like this. We'll be dipping our toes into the art house world next week with uh, Marianne Cotillard, who's the star of the Dardenne Brothers' uh, latest uh, Two Days, One Night. It doesn't get any more art house than that, does it, Phil? You're excited. I can see you're excited. I did. I interviewed her. Indeed. Uh, and Richard Iowadi, uh, writer director of The Double, uh, will also be joining us. That movie is out now on DVD and Blu ray. So if you want to pick it up before the interview and listen to watch it, yeah, you can absolutely do that. It's entirely up to you. Until then, it is goodbye from Helen. Toodaloo. It's goodbye from Ali. Goodbye. It's goodbye from Phil. Goodbye, cheerio. And it's goodbye from me. See you next week. Scott Adkins permitting. Bye.